Welcome to the Tomball Bible Church Podcast. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to be in a section of verses of verse 7 through 11. And the, the title of this message is Long Ago in a Land Far Away. And we're not going to do story time, but we are going to spend quite a bit of our time looking at the Old Testament. Because what's going to be referenced in the Old Testament is actually what's in the background of this first opening section of the entire book of Hebrews. So we have to understand what is being referred to in order to understand the meaning of this book, especially of the, of the text that we have today. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Let me read the passage, and then I'll give us an outline that can kind of guide our way through it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. It says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So this is our text for the morning. And uh, I believe that God has uh, some precious truth for us and perhaps even some corrective truth for us. The passage lays out in two simple sections. There's a warning against rebellion. And that's found in verses 7 through 9. So there'll be a warning for us to hear and pay attention to. And then there's a consequence for rebellion. And this is specific to rebellion against God. And that's going to be the final two verses in our text, verses 10 through 11. So again, a warning and a consequence. Or basically, a warning and then the rationale. Very similar to last week. Last week we had a command and then the reason for the command. Here, the way the, the Holy Spirit has inspired the writer of Hebrews, he gives a warning as well as a consequence. But you'll notice that the layout of the text, if you're looking at it in your Bible, it's not laid out like it is in the previous verses. And that's because this is a direct quotation of poetry. This is coming directly out of the book of Psalms. And so in order to understand this passage, we have to know what its form is, where it came from, and then what's behind the psalm. Because the psalm is not where we get the background information. The background information actually points further back in time to the Israelite people and their relationship with God as he led them out of slavery in Egypt. So we have our passage, and I want to start in this first section of the warning against, the, against rebellion. And verse 7 says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. In this verse, there's, it starts out with the word therefore, which means there's a conclusion being drawn based off what came before. There was a command given in the first six verses of chapter 3. Do you remember what it was? Hmm. 
That's sad. I'm just kidding. Uh, It is to consider Jesus. It's to consider Christ, to think and take note of Christ actively, daily, to think about Jesus, to consider him. So there was a command to do so with rationale to follow. And now we come into verse 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. The thing I want to comment about this line is that this is just another proof from the Bible itself that everything that we have in the Old Testament and everything that we have in the New Testament comes from God. It's breathed out from him. It is inspired and inerrant truth. It's without error in its original writings. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, then it says, today, if you hear his voice. If you're following along and you've got, a, you've got an ability to, to mark up something, you want to kind of circle or underline the word today. This word is going to be repeated quite a bit in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And this picks up on the idea of a sense of urgency. Today. Right now. It's a call to pay attention. It's a call to to be alert, to be aware today. We've talked about that before in our series about the the attachment that the writer has in Hebrews to today. We talked about it earlier. We discussed the, the idea that this is really all we've been given is today. We hope for tomorrow, we, we plan for tomorrow, we think and believe there'll be tomorrow, we assume that there will be days to follow today, but, but at the end of the day, that's all we have, is today. And what the writer of, the, of this book is trying to get his readers to listen and understand is that there are commands for the Christian life and there are warnings for the Christian life that are lived out and heeded on a daily basis. This is not just another Father's Day. This is not just June 19th that's just going to pass into June 20th. We actually don't know, do we? We do know it is today. So today, if you hear his voice... This is key because the idea of the voice of God is where this book began. God has spoken. He spoke in the prophets in the Old Testament. He has uniquely spoken in a better way in these last days by his son. And so God is speaking to us. He is speaking uniquely to us through Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus for those who hear his voice. John 10, starting in verse 27, says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is a beautiful text, a beautiful word from Jesus, the unique word of God who's speaking to us to say that if you hear his voice, then you belong to him. So how then do you belong to Jesus? How do you know you're of those who are able to hear his voice? What's the answer, church? You tell me. You follow him. You follow him out of a basis of faith. 
that you believe the claims that Jesus has made about himself. Remember chapter 1 of Hebrews is about his identity as God. He created all things. He's in the unique position of the Son of God, holding authority and power over everything, upholding the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is our God. You hear his voice if you believe in who he is. Chapter 2, Jesus, the full Son of God, he stepped down into our condition. As a faithful priest, he has made a sacrifice for our sin once and for all. But this sacrifice of sin didn't come by the killing of an animal. That was the ritual sacrifice in the Old Testament for God's people. But Jesus gave himself. He laid his own life down for us. Jesus, eternal God, took on mortal flesh to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead. You hear his voice if you believe who he is and what he has done. He is the son of God who died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. If you believe this church, you are one of his people. You're one of his sheep. And he is speaking. So today, if you hear his voice, this means that this word that's going to follow is for you, church, and for me. In this section about the warning against rebellion, as we move further into the text, we actually get the warning. Here it is, verse 8. Do not. Harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. The passage says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What kind of rebellion is this? Well, this is a rebellion of the people of God that God had rescued out of Egypt under Moses' leadership. If you recall from last week when we were called to consider Jesus, the great reason that we should consider and take note of Jesus is that Jesus is greater than Moses was. Moses, who was the greatest of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Moses, the emissary of God, who was a servant faithful in all of God's house for his people, Jesus is even greater Because while Moses was a servant, Jesus is better as the Son of God. Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus is the Son over God's house. And Moses has led the people out of Egypt by the power of God. And they come to a place in the wilderness where it was hot. It was grueling. And there wasn't any water. Have you ever been hot without water? It's easy to complain and it's easy to grumble and that's exactly what they did. In fact, they were grumbling so badly that they would prefer to go back into a slavery context. Because there they didn't have to worry about where they would get something to drink. 
So they just like, hey, this is, this is bad. We followed you out here. Now we're going to die out here. Why don't we just go back? And they grumbled against God. And God used Moses to intervene for the people. And God said, strike the rock, strike a rock, and I'll bring water out. And Moses obeyed the Lord. He struck the rock with his staff and water was supplied for the people. But there was also another rebellion. As they followed uh, God's leading and Moses' leadership, they come to the southern end of the land of promise. The land that God had promised that they could go in and find rest. And they thought, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send 12 spies in to spy out the land and see what things are like. 12 went down to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad. 2 were good. Well, the report came back from the 12 and 10 said, we cannot do it. We cannot go in. These nations are too strong. Their cities are too fortified. We will die if we go. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, believed the the promise of God and they said, we should enter in. We can go. But the people rebelled against God. And it cost them dearly. It cost them the lives of everyone in that generation was not able to enter into the rest that was promised. Only Joshua and Caleb were able to go in from that generation. So when this poem out of the book of Psalms is writing about this, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, that is what is in the background. The rebellion of the Israelite people against the promise and the voice of God to them. It says, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. What are these works that the Israelites saw? I was reminded by one of the phrases of one of my seminary professors when he was reflecting on the works of God that unfolded before these people. He said, oh man, great honk. Storm the crows, starve the lizards. I had to look that up. It was weird, but he would, did you guys ever have professors or teachers that had just like these strange phrases? Great honk, storm the crows and starve the lizards. I had to look it up. Apparently, they're Australian uh, colloquial phrases. Hopefully, they're not crude. Uh, I'm sure you'll tell me in an email. Uh, So he says this about this because what have these people seen firsthand? Did they see 10 plagues pour out against the country of, of the nation of Egypt? Did they see the death of firstborn sons be taken as the final punishment of God on the Egyptians and only those who spread the blood of the lamb on a doorpost? Did they see the rescue of God? Did they see that the Egyptians, as they sent them out, sent them out with all of their wealth and their gold and and all their precious things and say, take it, take it, take it and go. And then did they see that the that the Pharaoh had changed his mind and sent an an entire army against them and that they were coming up to the edge of the dead or the the Red Sea and they didn't know what was going to happen and did they see the Red Sea part? 
And they were able to pass through on dry land. And then did they see when they turned around that as Pharaoh's army was following behind on the dry ground, that the waters were put back into place and they were all drowned? Did they see that? Did they see that God provided guidance for them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? The physical manifestation of the presence of God with them. Did they see that? Did they see that when they were hungry, God provided mysterious bread that they had no way to describe it, and so they just called it, what is it? We know the word as manna, but manna is a Hebrew question. What's that? I guess I'll eat it. Did they see the works of God over and over and over and over and over? And the answer is, of course. Great honk. These background passages, I want to put them up on the screen just to remind you. Exodus 17, 1 to 7, this is the account where they crumbled about not having water. Moses intervened for them, struck the rock as God had told him, and he provided water for them. Numbers 13 to 14. This is where the spies go into the land and they come back with the report and this is where they are judged. That entire generation now has to die because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord and they lost access to his rest. And that's what we see is the consequence for rebellion. Their rebellion was a disobedience to the Lord, to his voice. Instead of hearing his voice, they hardened themselves towards his voice. Look at verse 10 in this text. It says, in the consequence for rebellion, it says, Therefore I was provoked. This is the Lord speaking. I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So it's interesting, in the flow of this poem, that they could see his works but not understand his what? His ways. Sounds like those who tried to follow Jesus in his ministry on earth, right? They saw his works. They saw him heal the lame, bring sight to the blind. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw his works but did not necessarily understand or know his ways. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? That even when we have evidence of the work of God, that we can still miss the way of God. And that's the condition of our world today, my friends. We're told in Romans chapter 1 that there's no one who has excuse to think and to believe that there is not a living God. We have no excuse because of what's been made. God's handiwork is all over creation. It's all over us. As a unique reflection of being the image of God ourselves. And yet, in spite of seeing the handiwork of God, There's a hardening against his ways. 
And there's a consequence, and it says, they shall not enter my rest. Now, before we go into uh, kind of entering into the depths of that image of his rest, which is going to be the most important theme for the next three weeks, uh, will be this idea of rest. I want us to go and see firsthand where this psalm comes from. It comes from Psalm 95. So if you have an opportunity to turn with me to Psalm 95, I want you to do it. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 95. This psalm is in two sections. And so the the part that we have in Hebrews chapter 3 actually comes out of the second section. This psalm that that ends with such a warning is actually a praise psalm. According to one commentator, this psalm was actually practiced on a regular basis when the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and then the Jewish people observed the Sabbath. Sabbath goes from Friday evening sundown to Saturday sundown. It was an idea of Sabbath rest that's built into the Jewish week. One of the passages often read for the Sabbath is Psalm 95. So I want to read it, and we'll hear a fuller context of this and why I believe the Holy Spirit has inspired the writer to include this warning in Hebrews 3. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let me ask you, in this opening word of praise for God, what is the characteristic of God that comes to the forefront for being worshipped? Creator. Is that not how the book of Hebrews chapter 1 starts? That God has spoken through the prophets, but now in these last days he has spoken uniquely through through his son, through whom he has made all things. Chapter 1 of Hebrews opens up with the great identity of Jesus. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. His name is great and worthy to be praised. Chapter 2 talks about his unique salvation work to redeem his people. To take on flesh, to suffer in our place, and to provide a way out of God's wrath. And the Holy Spirit inspires the writer of Hebrews to link back to Psalm 95, which opens with this great psalm of praise to God our Creator. Verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Does that sound like John chapter 10? When Jesus said, there are, I know my sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Guess what, friends? That's the location back in Exodus 17 when the people said, we're thirsty, we want to go back to Egypt. 
Meribah means embitterment. Masa means uh, quarreling or complaining. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as the day of Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test for put me to the proof and put me to the proof though they had seen my work for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. A psalm of praise that's in two parts. We have a call to praise the Lord and then a warning to heed. Now what I find is very interesting is this concept of rest. As it will progress in Scripture, it takes on a fuller and fuller meaning. Let me share with you what I mean. When we first see the idea of rest, it's on the seventh day of creation. God has made everything that's laid out in the opening chapters of Genesis. But it says on the seventh day, God did something. What did he do? He rested. He took satisfaction in his own glory and everything that had been made. And he modeled this concept of rest. Satisfied saw everything that he had made and it was good, saw after he had made man that he said it is very good and he rested. And this is the threefold meaning of rest as it unfolds in Scripture is this first concept is just this idea of God's rest, his satisfaction in himself. But then there's a promise given to this group of people that he has called to represent him in the world. They were the Israelites And they had lost rest. They had become slaves for 400 years in the land of Egypt. God had set them free and he promised that if they would hear his voice and follow him, that they would enter into his rest. And rest was a physical place. An actual piece of property called the land of Canaan. Modern day Palestine or Israel. So as you progress through Scripture, this idea of rest takes on new meaning. In Moses' time, it was a promise of a a piece of land where God would establish his people and by their faithfulness to him and enjoying the rest of land, God would make himself known to the nations. But then... When we come to Psalm 95, now we're in the era of the kings and the leadership of King David. And there's still this idea moving forward that's expanding and is this idea of the rest of God, meaning the fulfillment of God's plan. And then the idea has now grown into the book of Hebrews where there's still a rest for God's people. You'll hear in the coming weeks that we're to strive to enter into rest as we look forward to a coming time of rest. And so for the people of God now, we have access to a rest that is both now and not yet. Hopefully, I didn't just confuse you terribly. But what I want you to understand is this idea of rest is found in God himself. Satisfaction and blessing in him. 
It was promised to his people if they would just believe and follow. And that is the same call which stands for us, that we would believe and follow. For there is a rest for the Christian that we have access into now and access into rest that's coming, that's still future. So what is this passage telling us? If we could boil it all down, this is what I believe it is saying. Rebelling against God results in a loss of rest. Rebelling against God results in loss of rest. What we cannot do when we go through these difficult texts that are on on the way is we cannot think that if you are a person of faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot think that God will let you go. Some of these warnings that we'll hear can kind of sound like that to our ears. And there may even be those, and there are those, under the, under the large umbrella of what is Christian, who can say that, who will say that you can lose your place with God. But we've already read John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, where Jesus says, I know my sheep, they hear my voice. None can be taken out of my hand, and none can be taken out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. We are his people. Positionally, we cannot lose the promised rest that is ours in Jesus. Are you with me? You cannot lose the rest that God has for you in Christ because you belong to him. We have a position with God in Christ. It is sealed. It is guaranteed. If you have faith in Christ, you belong to him. It is unshakable. And there is a future glorification coming where we will all fully and finally enjoy the rest of God. Free from the daily battle and daily grind that is called the in-between. And between a moment of faith where we we have a sealed position in Christ with a promised guarantee reward in Christ and now we are working out our salvation. And there is, for the people of God, access into daily rest. Do not forget the call. Today, church, this is a passage about today. Do not harden your hearts and your voice in disobedience today. Because rebellion against God will result in a loss of rest. If you want to live the kind of Christian life that is on shaky ground, that is filled with doubt, then disobey the Lord. None of us want that. It's the last thing that we want. But it is a very true and certain warning that if we harden our hearts against the voice of God today, It comes with a price and a cost. I want to draw our attention back to Moses. 
Moses who makes the book of Hebrews. Moses who made the transfiguration moment with Christ. Moses, the one who has been called the greatest prophet there ever was until he himself prophesied that there would be a greater prophet than he who would come, who would be Jesus. Well, in Numbers chapter 20, guess what? The next generation of Israelites, so those who followed the ones who didn't listen to the spy report of Joshua and Caleb. So that next generation, they're following along with Moses. They come to a place, there's no water. They start to grumble and complain just like the previous generation did. And they're complaining against Moses. They're complaining against Aaron. They're complaining against God. And God tells Moses, he says, speak to the rock and I will bring water forth. But Moses didn't do that. He didn't speak to the rock. You remember what he did to bring water out the first time? What did he do? Hit the rock once. God says, speak to the rock and I'll bring water for the people. Moses took his staff and he hit the rock twice. Worked the first time, I'm doubling down. Now we don't know why Moses did not heed, hear, or obey the voice of God. I don't know why. I do know that his sister Miriam had just died. I do know that he has been on this 40-year grind, trusting the Lord, leading, complaining people, burying an entire generation in the desert. And in that moment, he did not listen on that day. And what happened for Moses? As a result of his disobedience, did he lose his position with God? He did not lose his position with God. Did he lose access into the physical rest God had promised his people? Yes, he did. You and I as we journey in our faith and as we are seeking to persevere by the grace of God in this Christian journey, we want rest with God. And the way into that then is our response to this passage. If the message of the passage is rebelling against God results in a loss of rest, then what is the response to this passage? It's this, hear and obey the voice of God in Christ Jesus. Hear and obey the voice of God in Christ Jesus. And this is a call for today. It's to hear and lean in, to consider Christ. That has been the command that has been uh, woven through the first opening chapters of Hebrews. I don't want you to miss it. In chapter 2, it is to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What we have heard is the voice of God uniquely expressed in Jesus Christ. In the last week, the command, the exhortation was to consider Jesus, to take note of him. 
these commands are followed up with warnings. The warning today is don't harden your heart to his voice to you today. Hear and obey the voice of God in Christ Jesus. I want to leave us with uh, the words of the man. I introduced him to you last week. I'm struck by this guy, Octavius Winslow. I told you he wrote this little devotional in the 1800s called Consider Jesus. He talks about the kind of life of influence that everyone has been entrusted. He opens his devotional by just talking about the truth that you have no idea the people in circumference of you whose lives you impact. He encourages us to consider letting our example be Jesus. He says, oh, let your example pencil like the sun the image of Christ upon all whom its transforming rays are reflected. But this can only be as you yourself follow Christ. If you would that others be a holy reflection of you, you yourself must be a true and holy reflection of Jesus. Let the light of your influence so shine that others seeing may rejoice in it. Be a living letter of Christ. So legible and lovely as to be known and read of everyone, that all may be affected by the reading thereof. Thus, others will behold your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. This is the kind of life that has been entrusted to those who have the name of Jesus marked on them. As we live out lives of faith, it demands that on a daily basis, we hear his voice and we follow. Without fear that we lose our position, without fear that we lose what is promised for us, but with the stern warning. That our daily experience with God is directly tied to our hearing and our obeying. Let's listen well. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church.